0: Will you turn in your Bible, please, with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Merry Christmas almost. Coming fast, isn't it? Man, time is flying these days. Luke chapter 1. Last week we talked about the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist as we're coming into the Christmas season and thinking about uh, the Lord's birth. The incarnation of The Lord God himself becoming a man on our behalf and coming to earth is uh, something to be remembered. And so Christmas is a great time of year. It's a great holiday, isn't it? It's fun, family, cookies, ham or turkey or something, masta when I was growing up, whatever. But there's family together, there's trees, there's presents. All those things are great. Everybody loves Christmas. But to remember that God came, that he didn't leave us, He didn't forget us. He was faithful to all his promises. He sent his own son who would be our salvation. It is worth our time remembering. And so last week we talked about John the Baptist who was going to make straight the ways before the Lord. He was preparing the way, preparing the path. And his message was a message of repentance. That people would repent, turn away from their sin, and that they would come back to God and walk his way in preparation for the Messiah who was to come. And now we're going to read it in this story in Luke, uh, and the same angel who comes now to Mary to tell her that Jesus is coming. So, Luke chapter 1, let's read together, starting at verse 26. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Here's what it says In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Praise the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Praise God for his word. What a great announcement. So to set the scene for you, this place... As we open the passage here, it tells us that this angel Gabriel, Gabriel has an interesting name. His name means uh, Mighty One of the Mighty One. So the Mighty One of the Mighty One has been sent out. He's coming from God to this place in Galilee called Nazareth. And Nazareth is a little city uh, that is right on the edge of Samaria. And so this area that this place is, is not a great fortified city. It's not an amazing place. Um, If you are a car fan, it's not Detroit. If you are a uh, baseball fan, it's not St. Louis. See what I could could have done anything there. I chose St. Louis. If you are a political fan, it's not Washington, D.C. If you are a movie fan, it's not Hollywood. He comes to this place called Nazareth. And Nazareth is a weird place because it's right on the border of a place that most people don't like. And so this place uh, would be right on the edge of a town where people kind of avoid And there's other highways around it. They don't go there. They don't go to Samaria. And so this place, Nazareth, does not have an awesome reputation. In fact, Nazareth's reputation is this. What good things ever come from Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And it's in this place that God sends the mighty one of the mighty one. Who comes to a town where nothing good ever happens and speaks to a girl named Mary. Now Mary, at this time, she's betrothed in the, uh, in the Hebrew Israelite tradition. Being betrothed, if you are going to break a, an engagement, a wedding engagement, uh, that is something that happens in our culture pretty easily where people just say, let's not get married. In this culture, you have to actually have a, cer- a certificate of divorce. So to be betrothed, you're not fully married yet, but you're on the way, and it's a legally binding thing. So she is betrothed to Joseph, they're not actually married yet, they're living separately, they have not come together to be husband and wife, and God tells this virgin girl, who's probably around 17 years old-ish, someone there, teenager for sure, that she's gonna have a baby named Jesus. What an incredible announcement. Now, when he comes to her and he tells her that she is going to have a baby, she reacts very differently than we, than we heard last week when Zechariah the priest responds to God. So the same angel in Luke chapter 1 comes to Zechariah the priest during the time of prayer and tells him that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby and she's barren and she's older in age. And now she's going to have a baby and he asks, what sign can you give me? Do you remember what the sign was? He goes mute and deaf. That's the sign. Now Mary, on the other hand, She responds very differently, and she asks a question as well, but her question is different. What question does she ask? How how is this possible because I'm just a virgin? Not only that, but this is a girl, 17 years old, who lives in a town where nothing good ever happens. She comes from nothing, and she is a nobody. She's a nobody. Now, she's engaged to a guy who has a famous family heritage. Joseph's family heritage, his family line, is of the line of David. David was the famous king of Israel. He's the famous king that fought Goliath and killed him. He's the famous king that united the people. He's the famous king that that led the people into conquest and seeing God's grace put upon the nation. He's the famous king who failed famously in what he did. He's the famous king whose son, Solomon, built the temple. Which was the place of worship. But in this time period, Joseph is not a prince. God has not come down to Princess Mary. He's come down to marry this girl. She's 17. And she has a fiance who comes from a famous family, but lives in a time where there is no kingdom really to speak of. The kingdom has been shattered. Judgment has come upon the people for idolatry, for unfaithfulness. The, the Roman army has come in and oppressed the people. They are under the boot, literally, of any army officer that walks by. Any soldier that walks by can conscript any Hebrew person into service right away. They can beat them. They can smack them. They can call them names. There is no legal redress for anything that happens to a regular Hebrew person because they are sub-citizens in this country. In fact, the kingdom of Israel that's been set up is a shell kingdom, and Herod, who is leading it, is actually a puppet of Rome. He has installed his own people to be priests over the temple, making the temple sacrifices really weird. They've turned the whole temple system into an economic system where they can just make money off of it. Herod the Great has gone, is, is basically gone on rampages to solidify his power. And later on, we're going to find that after this boy is born, after this son, Jesus, is actually born, Herod the Great will use his power to come into this area and murder every boy two years old and under. You want to talk about oppression. This is a horrible place in a lot of ways. Now, there's also peaceful things that are happening And so Joseph himself, though he comes from a famous family, he's not a prince, but what is he? He's a carpenter, which in this time, there's not that many trees. There's some trees, but we think of carpenters as framing a house. Like Dale Massey could help you with anything. He is the guy. If you need to do something with woodwork, I will call Dale because he knows what he's doing. And this time, though, there are trees, and Jesus surely did things with that. But also they worked out of stone because there's a lot of stone It's plentiful. So uh, our idea of carpenter and like what a mason would do with concrete and stone and things, those are kind of blended in this time period where they sort of do similar work. Either way, Joseph is a guy who's not a prince in a castle. He's the guy who's used to carrying heavy things. He's the guy who's used to cutting his hands on the tools. He's a guy who's used to trying to make a living in a hard way for people that maybe don't pay him as much as he's worth. And here comes Mary, living in a place where there's nothing, where nothing good ever comes out of Nazareth. And she's a nobody. She's a nobody. Not only that, but it makes sense in the just prior to this, when we read about John the Baptist's birth last week we talked about, it makes sense that God would send the angel Gabriel to the temple to talk to the priest who's on duty. It would make sense to use a festival where all the people are gathered and they're praying that God would respond to their prayers and speak to them. It makes sense to go to a place where worship is supposed to be happening. But in this scene, we find Mary from a town of nothing, who's a nobody, who's not really doing anything. And God shows up to her. And it's been 400 years of silence from God speaking to his people. The last time something drastic or big or miraculous happened was 400 years ago. And God chose a 17-year-old girl from nowhere, who's a nobody, who's doing nothing, to intervene into history and to bring his son. And it's amazing to think about the greatness of our God, who chose this girl to bear his son. Now what will happen? Mary's question that she asks is not, like, is not like Zechariah asks. She doesn't ask for a sign. And she, instead she says, how will this be? How will this be because I'm a virgin? I've not been with my husband. She's not fully married yet. How will this take place? Notice how interesting that assumption is. Because God says to her, you're going to have a son. And she doesn't immediately think, oh, okay, in a couple months when I get married, I'm going to have this baby. Instead, she's assuming that God's showing up and doing something now. And so she says, how, how will this happen? The angel tells her, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. In fact, he calls her the favored one when he first greets her. And he tells her that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and that he will give her a baby in her womb and that baby will grow. He tells her that the name's going to be Jesus. He says that he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And that God will give him the throne of his father, David. He tells him that this kingdom will never end. Mary, who is wondering about these things, is told that the Holy Spirit is going to do this great miracle. And it will be done with her, upon her. Now, this isn't something that we should understand as some kind of dirty thing. It's not like God comes. There's a lot of, a lot of cultures in the world that thought that God would come down and do uh, evil things with women and give them children and stuff like that. That's not what happens with Mary. Instead, God just miraculously moves in her, and Christ comes in her. But one important thing to remember is that Christ, God himself becoming a man, really is fully God, but he's also fully a man. So when Mary has this baby come inside her, it's not that God does some kind of evil sexual thing to Mary, but the baby comes in her. You know, Jesus really had an umbilical cord? Because babies have umbilical cords and grow, You know, Mary, as he's growing inside her, actually felt the baby kick. Mary probably was wildly uncomfortable and blamed Joseph for everything that happened. (laughs) And what was Joseph's great plan? Let's go on a giant road trip. We're gonna go register, because the governor told us to register, so jump on this donkey, it'll be great. Listen, husbands, don't ever do that to your pregnant (laughs) wife. Don't find any other way that you can. It's not gonna go well. But Mary, she's really going to be pregnant, and the Holy Spirit's going to do it. And this baby Jesus is really going to grow in her and be a real baby. And that's amazing. And she, at the end of this, sort of just takes God's word for it. Now, as we kind of dissect this passage and look at what's happening here, I want to point out just a couple things to you. The first is this. When when the angel Gabriel comes and speaks to Mary, the first thing he calls her is the favored one. Now, this word favor is actually a Greek word called charis. And this word charis is all through the New Testament. It's the same word that we use translated to the word grace. Grace. So the angel comes and he says, Mary, he says, the one upon whom God's grace rests. Now, grace is an awesome term. Grace can be translated this way. This is my favorite definition of grace. It's unmerited, unearned favor is what it is, which is why the Bible translators made this, oh, favored one. But the grace of God is resting upon Mary, the favor of God upon her. Now, God's grace is incredible. It's unearned favor. This is the same kind of unearned favor that Paul is going to talk about later when he says that by grace we've been saved. And the amazing thing that's going to happen here is that Mary is gonna find that the same baby that she's carrying is going to end up being the grace of her life and her salvation. Mary is not saved because she obeys God. Mary is not saved because she carries God. Mary is saved because God comes to earth and dies on the cross for her. It's by grace that she's gonna be saved through Jesus. But the incredible thing here is that she's already receiving some of God's grace. And that God's grace will literally kick inside her. How incredible. Second thing I want to point out to you is this. When the angel speaks to her, he tells her that she's going to have a son named Jesus. And the angel says, he will be great in verse 32. And he will be called son of the most high. Now this is an interesting way of describing who Jesus is going to be. And it's interesting for this reason. When the angel comes to speak to Mary... Think about all the different names and all the different ways that he can describe God. He could have said, he will be the son of the great I am. He will be the son of your provider. He will be the son of the one who has delivered his people from Egypt. He could have used anything like that. He will be the God of Isaac and Jacob. He could have said something like that. We hear that all the time in the Bible. Instead, he says, he will be the son of the most high. And this phrase that's used, is an interesting phrase that was first used in Genesis chapter 14. And in this story, what's happening is the uh, Abraham, who is a patriarch of the faith, he's the father of the faith, God has come to him and said, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you. And so Abraham grows and as he's growing and his, his uh, wealth is growing and all these kind of things, everything seems to be going well except he has no children yet. But he has this nephew named Lot that he cares for. And Lot ends up getting captured by these rogue other kings that come and kidnap Lot and take away all his people and all his stuff. And so Abraham in Genesis 14 gets a band of faithful people together and they go fight against these other kings and they rescue the, ne- the nephew named Lot. And they bring him back. And on their way back, they encounter a king who's a king for the Lord and his name is Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a high priest of God. And this is before Moses, this is before the law, So this guy, Melchizedek, just sort of shows up on the scene. And Melchizedek is the king of a place called Salem, which means peace. So he's the king of the city called peace. And Abraham comes to him, and Melchizedek blesses him. And this is the first time in the Bible uttered by the priest Melchizedek of God Most High being used in this title. And the reference that we have here is the angel Gabriel using the name of salvation the name where the first time we see the family members are rescued, that's the name that the the angel Gabriel decides to say will be about Jesus. He's the son of the Most High. He's the son of the Rescuer. He's the son of the one that the King of Peace talked about. And so as Mary is hearing these things, And her mind is pondering about this greeting that she's received and all the things that the angel is saying to her. The incredible thing that's happening is God is also planting seeds about who Jesus is and what he will do. Because this Jesus is our great high priest. This Jesus is our great king. This Jesus is our peace, our life, our gospel, our salvation. He's our everything. As we look at the story and we think about what's happening here and what's happening with Mary... One of the things that really jumps out at me is when God tells her a sign without her asking for it. So Zechariah in the temple asks, can you give me a sign? What will happen? Mary doesn't ask that. Mary instead just says, how will these things be? And he says, by the Holy Spirit. But he gives her a sign anyway. What is the sign? It's her cousin Elizabeth, who's already six months pregnant, though barren. We're going to find later in the book of Luke that she will travel to go see Elizabeth and that she's going to witness that she is pregnant and this baby is coming. But here's the incredible thing, is that the angel Gabriel says to her, nothing is impossible with God. And though your cousin was barren for all this time and cried out for a baby, God has put a baby in her, and God can put a baby in you. And now her faith can rest in what God has said through the angel. Her faith can rest in knowing that even out of nothing, God can do things but she gets to meet her cousin Elizabeth and see the pregnancy, and also her, fa- her faith can rest on knowing that God delivers on what he says. He's good. You know, as I think about Christmas, um, I think back to my favorite Christmases. One of my favorite Christmases ever, uh, we had a little puppy, a Maltese, that had just had a Maltese dog that had just had puppies, and so we had these little puppies running around, which my parents sold off, much to our disappointment, Um, But that was good for them, praise the Lord, I guess. Um, I was told it paid for our tuition at school. I don't know. We just wanted the puppies. But little puppies, man, that makes Christmas fun, doesn't it? (laughs) Little puppies, the whole family getting together. It was a super great time. Do you remember the best Christmas gift you ever got? The best Christmas gift you ever got? Do you remember waking up so excited on Christmas morning that it was 3 a.m. and you couldn't go to sleep, and your parents were just so upset that you're trying to wake them up at 3 a.m.? But you're so excited for the day. It's so good. You know, I remember also my worst Christmases. I remember Christmases away from home. I remember Christmases where there were no presents. I remember Christmases where uh, dangerous things were happening. I remember Christmases where, uh, where my soldiers got pulled to do guard duty on Christmas night and where they canceled all the missions so that nobody would get hurt on Christmas, just in case, because they don't want to have to send the news home that on Christmas, your loved one got hurt. And I remember going up to the top of one of the guard towers to check on my soldiers at midnight on Christmas to wish them a Merry Christmas and check on them and see how they were doing. And I remember the very strange feeling of passing on the intelligence that probably tonight will get attacked because it's a Christmas holiday. I remember the very strange feeling of popping your head over the wall to look out on the city, and in the city where we lived in Baghdad, uh, we lived right next to a landfill, and so for Christmas night, just for extra fun, they lit the landfill on fire, so just so it, would, so it smelled extra good for us. And those Christmases happen too, you know. There's a lot of Christmases in between also. There's Christmases in between where it seems like nothing really happens, where family maybe can't get together because everybody's working. You ever had that? You know, my uncle growing up was a police officer. My aunt was a nurse. My mom's a nurse now. My sister was a nurse. And nurses and police officers and firemen and all these guys, they have funny schedules. And so somebody's got to be on duty on Christmas. And so isn't it funny sometimes that the day can pass and nothing really happens because you couldn't get together with family? You know, sometimes Christmas is a great time full of expectation, and emotion, and good things. Sometimes it's a depressing time because you remember what was good or you feel the dangers of the time or whatever. And I'm here to tell you that when God came to Mary to speak to her, he didn't come to a princess in a palace. He didn't show up in Hollywood. He didn't find Mary with all her makeup on looking beautiful. He didn't find Mary already married and ready to go. He came to marry the Virgin and when God told her that she was going to have a baby, understand, she knew, because she asked the question, how will this be, and the angel says the Holy Spirit will do it. She knew that she was going to carry the child, she would also carry the burden of derision from all the people around her who who would whisper about what happened before the wedding. Because surely for everybody else seeing a pregnant Mary on the donkey on the way to go down on the road trip. To check in with the family, of which the whole family travels together. Have you ever done a road trip with your entire family? Sometimes great, sometimes not. I remember one time I went to uh, Colorado with my grandparents, and we had these little radios, and so we're driving in the radios, and we're in a, in a little caravan, and my parents are ahead of us, and my brother and I are in the car, and we're driving together, and my, we were in a parking lot in a national park, which was packed to see some great sight that was there and we've been driving and driving and driving, and finally we're getting there. We're camping, which has its own levels of fun times, and my brother and I are in the back of my grandparents' car, and my grandmother is getting increasingly upset because she's yelling at the window to my parents in the other car, thinking that she's talking in the radio, but she's not holding the radio. And she's like, we're coming around to the left, can you see us parking? We're parking! We are parking! Nothing, and there's no response because she's not talking on the radio. And my grandfather's holding it, literally stops the car and looks at her like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know? and, they're, and they're having a full on dispute with my brother and I in the back just watching all this happen. It's so one thing if you see you know, your parents fight a little bit, your grandparents, whole other level, whole other level. And then we get out and like, oh great, here's the spectacle. I mean, you just gotta be happy, it's amazing. That's what Mary's doing with her family. The whole family goes. You think no family member said, hey, what happened to you? Couldn't hold on a couple more weeks? What's, what's the deal? I did the math, honey. Maybe you should go at the back of the caravan. You can't be trusted with anything. Can't let you be in the front. Probably feeling a little torture on that trip, aren't you? Fit ya. She's holding the savior of the world. And she's also carrying the burden of the reputation. And God, after 400 years of silence, chooses a girl from nowhere who's a nobody. And this is a girl who's got nothing. She's 17. She's a kid. She's about to get married. She feels like her whole life is starting. She's got nothing. What is she going to offer? Her husband-to-be is a Mason Carpenter guy. He's not a politician. He's not the prince. And yet here comes the angel saying, Oh, one upon whom grace rests, your child that God will give you miraculously without a man touching you, he will sit on the throne of his father, David. He will be the king and his kingdom will never come to an end. And God gives her not just Jesus, but God gives her a revelation of what the kingdom will look like. Did you notice in this passage that actually he doesn't say a whole lot about Jesus, He's going to be the son of God, the son of the most high, the son of the redeemer, the son of the king of peace. But the Lord God will give him a throne and his kingdom will never end. As much is said about actually Jesus and who he is, the angel also starts talking about the kingdom. And he's talking to this, about these things, to a girl who lives in an oppressed kingdom that's filled with corruption, that's under the boot of an empire, of which she has very little to no rights, and those rights that she's given force her to get on a donkey in a big family trip to go hundreds of miles so you can register in your hometown. It's not a great place. She's coming from nothing. She's a nobody, and she's really got nothing. But God places his own son inside her. And God, in his kindness, with whom nothing is impossible, is going to take this girl with nothing, and he's going to give her a baby who is everything. And Jesus Christ will actually feed from Mary. He will actually be her son. She will teach him and show him the way and try to do ABCs with him and all the things. He will grow to be an apprentice with his dad, Joseph, and work with his hands until it's time that he goes forth. Do you remember in his first miracle? Who was it that pushed him to do the miracle? It's Mary, his mother, who's waiting, who's seen all this time, this kingdom that's gonna come. And what does he say to her? Woman, it's not my time yet. And she tells the staff, do whatever he says, because nothing is impossible with God. And Jesus starts his ministry, preaches to the world repentance, and they reject him. And ultimately, he will hang on a cross and Mary, his mother, will stand in front of him. Surely, her cry is, Lord, there's nothing impossible with you. Bring him down from the tree. And instead, her prayer is answered by her son saying to his best friend, take care of my mother. And he dies on the cross for her and for you and for me because the kingdom is ushered in by the death of our Savior who dies but who raises again in victory and glory because there is nothing impossible with God and he takes all of our sin, all of our nothingness, all of the nothing we have to offer and his grace is poured out upon us the unmerited favor of God for all who believe. That now you, his people, and me would be called favored ones. Those filled with the grace of the king of kings. And his, his kingdom would rule over all things. His peace would rule over all things. Because nothing is impossible with God. Maybe this Christmas you feel like you're in a place of nothing. Maybe this Christmas you feel like you're a nobody. Maybe this Christmas you feel like you got nothing. I'm telling you, that's exactly where God speaks. Even after 400 years of silence, that's where God speaks. And he calls a people by his grace to come to himself and to see him. Will you turn with me to Luke chapter 6? Luke chapter 6. If this is how great our king is, what should we do? We should believe in Jesus. We should trust in him and his death and resurrection that he is our life. But here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. Jesus is speaking about loving your enemies as he's doing a sermon. And this is what he says, starting in verse 27. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus is preaching. He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do unto them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even, even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. This is the same title that Gabriel, the Mighty One of the Mighty One, Told Mary, his mother, that Jesus would be, he'd be the Son of the Most High. And now he's taken a people who are nothing, nobodies, who got nothing, and he's changed us, he's made us his. He's indwelled us by His Spirit through belief in Him. He's taken away your sin. And as you repent and turn and follow Him, He's made us to look like Him so that the kingdom would come out of us. And as the kingdom comes out of us, the same title that He has received is given to us, that we would be sons of the Most High. How incredible is it that Jesus in His great kingdom coming has taken a nobody and made us a somebody in Him to represent the king of glory. What should we do from the Mary story? Surely we should respond with faith like Mary. That would be great, wouldn't it? But even more, let's remember Jesus Christ, the king of glory who became a man on our behalf, who died for us, who rose again, and now as we live, let's live according to his kingdom. And let's do what he said. What did he say to do? That we would love those around us, even our enemies. That we would be generous We'd give to those who can't give back. That we'd show people what God's kingdom is like, and in doing so, we would be called sons of the Most High. Can we do that this Christmas? How can we do that? There's so many ways, aren't there? I know every one of us has something in your mind right now of somebody that you can encourage, somebody that you can build up, somebody that you can give to, somebody that you can serve. Let's do those things. And I'm being... Cautious not to say we're going to loaves and fishes and doing that because I know that God has already put people in our paths, neighbors and friends and relatives, people that we know if we give, they won't give back. God has called us to be like him, to represent his kingdom because he's made us sons of the most high. Let's take this opportunity to love Jesus, to trust him and to do what he's commanded us to do because he has filled us, though nothing, with himself and he is everything. Amen. Will you stand? Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Father, for choosing a, a girl, Mary, who would carry you. Lord, thank you that you made her strong. Thank you, Lord, that you put your favor upon her. But thank you, Lord, so much for your son, Jesus that, Lord, you yourself became a man on our behalf. Lord, we are so blessed to be your people. Lord, we confess today that, Lord, we've come out of nothing. We are nobodies and we got nothing. But, Lord, with you, with you we are rich. With you we have grace abounding. With you there's peace on our life and joy and righteousness. With you, God, because of your death and resurrection, because you sent your Son who made victory for us, we stand in your victory. And so, Lord, as those who are in your kingdom, we ask you, Father, help us to be faithful to do your word, not to be hearers only, but those who actually put to practice all the things that you've called us to do. Lord, we want to be called sons of the Most High because we want to be like you. And we want to bring you glory and honor in your kingdom. Lord, we want to serve you well. And so, Father, we ask you, Lord, like Mary's prayer, Lord, let all these things be done unto us according to your word. We trust you, we thank you, we love you. And Lord, I pray that every person here would be filled with your power to do all that you've commanded us to do. Lord, open our minds, help us to hear from you. Open our ears that we would be quick to respond when you tell us something to do. Show us, Lord, all the people that we should serve and that we should tell the gospel and that we should lead by the hand to you, Jesus. Lord, you're our great king and we praise you. May the great rule of the Lord Jesus Christ who's on the throne May the calling of the Father who has spoken his word and it will not return to him void. And may the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you lead you as you go forth from this place and as we prepare to worship the Lord again next week and for Christmas. Father, thank you that you're with us. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And ladies, have a great time on Saturday. Bless you all.